This episode of Full Stack Radio is brought to you by Laracasts. Laracasts is the de facto community and educational resource for PHP developers of all skill levels. Whether you're new to Laravel or you're hoping to level up your dev team, Laracasts was constructed entirely and exclusively for you. It's a lot like Netflix for your career. I think there's over 500 videos on there right now covering all sorts of topics from Laravel itself to different backend tools, front end frameworks like Vue.js and React, design patterns, how to get better at Git. There's something on there for everybody. So check it out if you have a chance at laracasts.com and thanks again to laracast for sponsoring full stack radio enjoy the show hey everyone welcome to another episode of the full stack radio podcast where i talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration i'm adam wathen your host as always and today i'm here with wes boss how's it going wes i'm doing fantastic thanks for having me awesome man no worries so do you mind uh, for anyone who doesn't know you just kind of giving a brief background and intro about what's going on and who you are yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Wes Boss. I am a full stack developer from Hamilton, Canada. Um, and what that means is I work with uh, startups and companies to help build their products. Um, and sort of the other thing that I do is I help people understand how to uh, how to make websites, how to make web apps. So uh, I do teaching. I've got a couple of products myself. Um, I do a lot of speaking, basically just taking complex web development topics and breaking it down. So uh, it's easy to understand. That's awesome. So uh, the reason that I wanted to have you on the show is because you put out a, a video training course recently on Flexbox, and uh, I th- it was a really, really awesome resource, and it's something that I've been getting into a lot more lately and finding lots of cool uses for. So I thought it'd be fun to chat about that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. So I guess like just kind of to talk about it from the background sort of point of view, uh, I had never really like tried using it on anything real until probably like maybe two months ago because I think especially with you know always worrying about supporting old browsers and stuff like that some new exciting thing will come along and it looks cool but you kind of know deep down like well I can't really use this for anything for like three (laughs) or four years almost sort of thing right and that's been getting better as like we've had to stop worrying about like not auto updating browsers and stuff like that but um flexbox was kind of like a when people first started talking about it, it sounded really awesome. And then I think as everyone sort of, you know, accepted the fact that we can't necessarily rely on it right now, it kind of drifted off into the background because people couldn't actually really use it on their day-to-day stuff. Um, Do you think we're getting to a point now where like, it's pretty safe to just use? Yeah, I I, I think you're absolutely right in that. Like, a couple of years ago, I think Flexbox came out in like 2011, 2012, something like that, started to be implemented in browsers. And I was like, this is the uh, CSS we've been waiting for. And and then now it's it's 2015, almost 2016, and we're only just starting to use it. And that's because there's no real, like you have to wait until all the browsers support it, which is IE 10 and up, which yeah. still, yeah, some people are still supporting it. So I, I think now, like I a lot of people are still kind of in the mindset like, oh, IE9, I still have to support that because I supported IE8 for a couple of years. But if you look at the stats, IE9 is is almost gone. It really depends on your website. But uh, we're at a point now where you can pretty much just drop IE9 if you're not supporting IE8, and uh, you're good to go with, with using Flexbox. It's, it's supported in all the browsers. It's a little bit wonky in, in a couple older mobile browsers, but... Yeah. Uh, you can you can use auto prefixer to sort of shim that there. What are the I know like IE ten has somewhat different support than IE eleven and then like Firefox and Safari and Chrome and stuff. Do you know much about what kind of the gotchas are there? 
Um, I don't know them offhand. There's a fantastic little um, GitHub repo called Flexbugs. Yeah. And it's essentially just a really fantastic document of all of the known issues in uh, all of the different browsers because it doesn't work consistently across all the browsers. But usually you just have to add a couple extra lines of CSS to, to sort of get it to, to work. And you have to put min widths on things or min content okay. size on it. And a lot of those gotchas are handled in your compile step, cool. uh, which is uh, like an auto prefixer. Yeah, sweet. So with the IE9 stuff, like IE9 has absolutely zero support. Nothing, for Flexbox, yeah. Right, you yeah. can't do anything. But IE9, I guess, was last. Like, you only really have to worry about that if you're worried about supporting Windows Seven, right? Because IE10 shipped with Windows Eight and everything newer than that. Yeah, even even Windows Seven, you can get uh, higher than IE9 yeah. on. Um, and I think once you hit IE9, I think it's just started auto updating. Uh, so if you go to caniuse.com, you can take a look at the. Uh, the browser stats, if you yeah. scroll right to the bottom. Um, in IE9, I think last time I looked at it, something like 1.3%, whereas like IE11 is something like 10%. So it's it's quite a bit more where people are on uh, 10 and 11. But yeah. again, your your experience may vary depending on like what kind of website you have. But yeah. uh, I, I sort of built this course looking forward. I, I didn't spend a lot of times on the time on the weird cross-browser stuff just because... Uh, all that stuff is sort of going to go by the wayside in yeah. the next year or two. And, and then we're looking forward. We're going to have a really solid uh, spec. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I don't know. Did you check out like the Bootstrap 4 alpha that came out yesterday? Yeah, I, I took a quick look at it. I didn't see. Are they using Flexbox in it? They have like a Flexbox like opt-in. So uh, it's kind of weird. I don't really understand like the the real motivation for it. But any feature that like could be done easier with Flexbox, you can just toggle like a SAS variable and it'll use oh. the Flexbox version of everything. Otherwise, okay. they still use kind of the old versions of everything where they had to do like a lot of workarounds to do. Oh some yeah, of the display more... table cell and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. So it's cool though that like even a major project like that is adopting it at least a little bit. Um, but again, if you're using it, I don't really know what motivation you would have to turn on the Flexbox version unless there's like specific problems with the non-Flexbox version that uh, you're running into on your layouts that even Bootstrap hasn't been able to fix. But Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes when you when you use these hacks like display, display table cell or you add in extra elements because you need them to, to be able to align something properly, then you run into little gotchas down the road that oh, it's hard to do scrolling or overflow now that I've done yeah. this little hack on yeah. it. So I think when you can go the least hacky route in your layouts, it's the best. Yeah, for sure. So maybe it'd be cool to talk about like some of the uh, problems that it solves, especially the ones that maybe people don't like immediately come to mind when they're thinking about it. I think like the biggest one obviously is like vertical centering, right? Like that is kind yeah. of the, the, the bane of everyone's existence in CSS land that uh, Flexbox actually solves. And that's like what motivated me to check it out more. But <laughs> yeah. There's all sorts of situations I've run into where uh, you real like you notice like the opportunity to use and it's like, Oh man, this makes it so much simpler. So, um, you know, your course goes through a lot of stuff like that and, uh, there's some cool resources online and stuff, but I'd be interested in hearing from you. Like what are some of the things that you find yourself using it for that you think are a little bit more interesting than just the vertical centering case? Yeah. I, I think in situations where, uh, I, I guess there's two, 
two big ones that I'll go into. The first one is like easy divvying up of space. Uh, and then the second one is equal heights, which is, again, that's another thing that is just the bane of everyone's existence. So easy divvying up, what does that mean? Um, like, let's say you have a navigation I like to use, but this really could be anything. And you've got X number of objects. And because our websites are so dynamic these days, you don't know that you're always going to have three objects or four objects. For example, yeah. if you got a, if you got a nav, you've got maybe three items in the nav, but a client comes along and adds in five Uh Previously, you'd had to like width 33% or you had to use some JavaScript if you wanted it to be dynamic, figure out how many items there are and divide it by that. Um, but with, with Flexbox, what you can do is you just set the flex grow and the flex shrink on it um, and it will take the available space. So let's say you got a thousand pixels and five items uh, and it will, it, by default, if you just do flex one, it will evenly distribute that space between all of the items in the nav. Um, and then what you can use is use your flex grow and flex shrink to say, uh, I'd like this item, maybe like the home button, like or the, the home page. I'd like that to take up twice as much of the extra room in the navigation. And I'd like my social icons to take up half as much room. So that's in a case where you have extra room. And then when you don't have an, a lot of room, how do they start uh, sort of slicing it up? So they all have a little bit of extra room to give up. Who should give up the most room first? Yeah, so. it's, it's pretty crazy the stuff you can do, like kind of talking about your nav example as well. The thing that I find myself using it for like all the time now that I can't figure out how I lived without in the past was just trying to have like a some sort of horizontal like block element that has something on the left and something on the right, but they're vertically centered with each other. Exactly. Yeah, I was I tweeted out an example like this the other day. Um, and it's it's like your classic menu example yeah. where you've you've got like your your stuff like menu at like a restaurant, for example, you've got like your items on the left and that might be one line of text. It might be six lines of text. It might be different font sizes. And then you've got the price on the other side, yeah. like kind of, you, you previously had to do float left, float right. And then a whole bunch, bunch of padding. Of line together. height crap. Yeah. And, oh, oh, just my. like terrible. calculating <laughs> stuff. Like I remember having so much stuff in like my SAS or less files, like doing all this multiplication of different font sizes, trying to like adjust the line heights of things with center properly yeah. or adding padding manually. Like, and it, it became impossible as soon as both elements were of some dynamic height, right? Then exactly. it was like game over. You, you had to use some jQuery to find the height, divide by two, minus yeah. itself. <laughs> Super depressing. Just like, as soon as you had dance. to like, resort to JavaScript to style something, that was like, that felt like just throwing in the towel to me every time. So to yeah. not have to do that is totally awesome. Like, I find myself so often having like a list of things, like you're talking about that in that menu example. On the right, I'll always have like some some button maybe or something for some action that people want to take, or, or even like a header at the top of the page where maybe you've got like, you know, some header text on the left, and maybe it's like a contact name or something and there's like an yep. edit button on the right and you want it to be vertically centered it's like so so easy now it's like three lines of css and three yep. elements it's like exactly what you do expect too right i was worried when i was first learning about it i feel i had this preconception in my head that for some reason it involved a lot of markup to use flexbox yeah. or a lot of like extra wrapper divs and stuff or a lot of uh, css but it really is like the exact amount minimum stuff that you would expect to have to declare yeah you just just pop in the elements that you actually need there's no like unsemantic markup that you have in there uh and you're you're good to go the the learning the flexbox is a little bit tough because there's there's really a lot to it but the reason there's a lot to it is because it's extremely powerful yeah and i don't think it's that bad once you get the hang of it like it definitely starts to feel pretty 
pretty natural once you start understanding how to take advantage of like like space between on like justify content is like the most useful thing like yeah. ever <laughs> right and yeah you... i think once you get the hang of it you're fine I, there's some resistance to it because i think developers haven't had to learn something new like this in a long time in css yeah uh, like i remember like learning floats do you remember learning floats oh, like dude. how impossibly so hard. tough that was that yeah. was one of those things where like unless so i remember like when i was first getting into building uh websites and stuff it was like a little hobby that I would kind of do off and on sort of thing. And floats were that one thing where like every time you'd learn it, you'd kind of like hold it in your head as tightly as you could for like <laughs> the, the week or whatever that you were messing around with some project, you know, when you're in high school or whatever. And then like maybe two months later, you want to come back and like build something else. And I felt like every time I had to learn it again because I couldn't just like hold on to it. It was like such a challenging thing to like fully yeah. understand. And now that like I do it full time, you kind of get it baked in. But yeah, uh, it, man, that was so like so unnecessarily complicated. It's and it's funny. I do a lot of teaching and it's funny trying to explain floats to people because you're just like, yeah, this is the way it works, and you have to clear both and put a clear fix on the parent. And if if you're if you have extra space, then your text might try to sneak in between those elements. And yeah, that that's totally makes sense. It doesn't make sense at all. That's not what <laughs> floats floats are never made for layout. No, never, but, right? Yeah, that, that's also something I always found kind of interesting, right? This whole conversation about like, um, you know, we used to use table layouts and stuff like that, and those are bad because they're adding markup that confuses screen readers and stuff like that, and it makes it think that you're trying to do something else. And that, like, you know, you should use floats for layout and stuff. But, like, some, at some point, it just became accepted that that was, like, how we do it. And that was somehow, <laughs> yeah. like, the right way. But, like, when you really look at it and you look at, like, you know, what floats were really intended for and stuff, you realize that, like, that feels almost hackier to me than what we were yeah. doing with the table stuff. I know. E even the name, like, floating. Nothing is floating. You're, you're putting <laughs> things beside each other and they're locked in. So... <laughs> yeah, it's totally ridiculous. So the other thing that you were um, you mentioned was the the equal height stuff. What sort of benefits are you seeing there? Yeah. Um, so so many times in CSS, you you wanted to say height is equal to the highest one in the row, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've got like a let's say you've got a grid of nine things and you've got three of them per line, like just imagine this with me and one of them on the line is extremely long and the other two are short. You essentially want to say two short ones, can you be as high as the highest one? Yeah. And how, how you used to have to do that was what you'd loop through with, you, with some jQuery and figure out the max height of the three and you better make sure that you do it after images have loaded because then that will change the thing. <laughs> so really, really tough. And what Flexbox does is it will look at the three that are in the row. Even if you have nine elements that are all siblings of each other, it will just look at the three that are in the row beside it and it will say which one is the highest and it will uh, allow you to make them all equal height or may align them to the top or to the bottom. Equal height is, is most the most use case. So yeah. that was always the biggest battle with it. You get a designer saying like, oh, just make them equal height. And you're like, oh, that's not so as much harder than that. Might yeah. think it will be. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I ran into an example with that the other day with um, like pricing cards. Right. Like, say you have like you mm -hmm. know, your plans and pricing section on whatever app that you're building and each you have three cards say and each one has like you know a price at the top and then like a list of features and then like a uh you know choose this plan button or something at the bottom yep. and you want all those buttons to be uh lined up with each other and you want all the cards to be of equal height like when you mock that up in photoshop or something that looks like 
pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. But when you try and do that without Flexbox, it's super hard. And the way that you do with Flexbox is just like you're saying, right? You create a flex, you create a row, let's display flex. You have those three divs in there. They're automatically going to take the same height as each other. And yep. then what I've been finding useful, uh, where I'm finding like interesting things you could do with Flexbox is like nesting flex containers inside yep. of them. So then yeah, each I got a whole one, video on that. Yeah. So now you have like these pricing cards. If you make each one of those display flex, you can like separate the all the stuff at the top from the stuff at the bottom, justify the content so it's space between and it pushes that button to the bottom on every single one without having to use any like position absolute and duplicating your, you know, left and right to match the padding of the container or any of that stuff and it just like all works automatically it's crazy yeah it's it's pretty incredible that it works the the position absolute trick was always such a pain because it it sort of gave up the space that it took and -hmm. then you had to add some extra padding to the bottom of that element to to account for the absolute button so yeah it's a pain you can use um with flexbox we've got what is it align self flex end yep and if all of your elements are at start at the top except for your button you want anchored to the bottom this is also referred to as like a sticky footer or a sticky button uh you can just do align self flex end and it will overwrite the the parent positioning yeah definitely have you seen um there's a site i can't remember the guy's name philip something he's got like this solved by flexbox site yep that, I've, I've seen that one it's so philip good walton yeah philip walton We'll have to give that dude a shout out. But there's so many, uh, like, this is exactly the sort of stuff I'm talking about, right? You go on this site and you see, like, well, look at how easy it is to make a grid with Flexbox. Or, like, do you remember input add-ons? Like, how hard it was to have, like, you know, uh, an input field with, like, a button attached to it. And the contents of the button, you know, is going to be dynamic based on what's inside of it. And then you want the input to, like, grow or shrink to take up the rest of the space. Like, so easy with Flexbox, right? Oh, man, it's so good. It's, like... Like I'm so excited about it because it's making things so easy now and I'm I'm so grateful that we can actually just finally use it and not have to worry about it. Especially like if you're building stuff for other people who are into tech in any way. Like like, you know, if you're building a tool for developers or you're building um, you know, something for startups or whatever, like most of these people, like you definitely don't have to worry about it. Like the whole IE nine support thing that's a really small uh, subset of kind of customers that you probably are going to have to worry about people on old computers that haven't updated the internet explorer version. Like it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If, especially if your audience is very tech oriented, like people who visit my properties are like 90% Chrome. It's ridiculous, but uh, I don't know. There's, there's some downsides to that, but it's the nice thing is you can start using these things today. Yeah, for sure. What uh, browser are you using to do your front end stuff? Um, I have been switching between Chrome and Firefox, so I've been I've been Chrome for for years and years. Uh, but about a couple months ago, I did a six week stint where I did entirely Firefox, just because like a lot of times these people argue Chrome, Firefox, which one's better, yeah. but people don't actually spend the time. So I I told myself I'd do a a full six week stint entirely in Firefox. And uh, it's good. The Firefox is super fast. It's really snappy. Their dev tools are, are wicked fast. Their dev tools are, are getting really, really good. There's many spots in the dev tools that they, it kind of outshines the Chrome yeah. dev tools. But uh, I eventually just went back for a number of reasons. Some of the dev tool stuff just didn't drive with me. Um, and just the syncing of my bookmarks and everything on yeah. my phone was, was pretty important too. 
I I did the same thing. Like I played with Firefox. I tried to switch because um, I was getting annoyed, like looking at Activity Monitor and seeing like how much resources Chrome is actually using for stuff some yeah. of the time. And uh, I switched to Firefox and found the same things as you. Like it was, it's really fast. Like I remember when Chrome first came out and I switched to Chrome. It was because it was so much faster than everything, yep. right? And now it's not the fastest kit on the block anymore. But Firefox was super snappy. It used like barely any resources in comparison. Um, like you're talking about with the dev tools, the one thing that I really like about the Firefox dev tools is how easy it makes it to take a picture of the screen uh, yeah. in, of a website, like a full size uh, website screenshot, which has been yeah, really like useful it'll for scroll it. Yeah, like for doing like front end buildouts and stuff. If you need to like uh, compare something to some mock up that someone's made, it's it's nice to do. Or I use it a lot for um, opening like pull requests on projects. So a lot of time I'll paste like a a picture of whatever feature I'm working on in the pull request, so you know people can see what I've actually uh, done yeah. without having to pull it down. And that's been like a super convenient way to do that too. There's a Chrome plugin that does it too. Yeah, but, um, yeah. For some reason, using something that's built into a browser, I just like trust it more intrinsically, and maybe there's yeah. no real good reason for that. But no, totally, I, I use that one. Uh, I used one on on Chrome for the longest time, and then they started popping up ads all the place, so I had oh. to get a new one. So yeah, it's it's nice when it's built right in. They're really putting, especially in the like I'm I'm using the Firefox Developer Edition. Yeah, and, I haven't tried that one. What are some of the like the main um, benefits? So the the dirty little secret is it's just like Canary. It's just what's coming up. Um, but it's got a bit of a different skin on it. You can have a light or a dark skin. Um, and I don't really know too, too much about what's different. But I, I know you get the edge edge features okay. as well as new stuff in the dev tools. Right on. So um, what else is going on, man? Like, what are you excited about these days? What's keeping you busy? Yeah, um, I'm. I've been really, really into uh, once. So I've got this Flexbox one. Um, I've got which is free. I've got a command line power user uh, video series, which is also free. Um, I've got a Sublime Text book uh, and video series, which is paid. And so I've got like these three products out, and then they're starting to pick up some some momentum, and and people are are really reacting to my my teaching style, I guess. Um, so. It's, that's been really getting me sort of uh, pumped up. So I've been uh, working on quite a bit more content, which I'm going to be putting out. So uh, I'm working on a uh, a gulp book, okay. uh, which is like uh, you I don't know, you use gulp before. Yeah, I use gulp, but I don't really know like the deep internals of it or anything. I just kind of touch the superficial layer and as little as possible to get it just to come do basic like asset compilation and stuff. Most of my work is on the back end, so I'm not oh, doing yeah, any yeah. crazy like crazy front-end builds like doing lots of fancy javascript stuff or anything where i'm trying to piece together whole single page applications with like some fancy build process mostly just for assets so yeah 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 totally so yeah i'm, I'm building a, a whole uh, book and video series on that which i'll kind of take a deep dive we've got a um a hacker you here in toronto we've got a uh, a one-day course on gulp as well which we kind of do a deep dive into all the little things that you can use it for yeah um so that's, I'm pretty excited about that, and then I'm I'm also working on a uh, a React JS for beginners tutorial series. Okay. Uh, in which will just like there's a lot of people out there right now who uh, they use jQuery or they're they're feeling a little bit like the industry is moving a bit too quickly and it's a little bit too hard to sort of jump into this new JavaScript landscape that we're starting to see. We're starting to see ES6 and all these build tools and. Uh, React JS and Angular and all that stuff right there. So uh, I'm I'm working on a very accessible 
uh, introduction and uh, like a full build of uh, an actual app that you can use uh, to React.js. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, what sort of problems are you trying to target with that? Like the same sort of problems that people might be using jQuery for on, you know, websites rather than like web applications or? Um, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, Cause React, what you can do is you can just drop in like one little piece of a website yeah. where you, you want it to be dynamic. Um, so what we're going to be building in the actual uh, video series is a full blown app uh, that has a couple different moving parts. Um, but it's, it's really targeted at someone who uh, you're, you use jQuery on a website and then it gets a little bit more complex and a little bit more complex. And then before you know it, you've got all this like hundreds of lines of jQuery. And it just starts to get a little bit out of control. Uh, so if you want to have a bit of an easier time managing your dynamic interfaces and managing, or I'm using Firebase, which is like a, a real time uh, WebSocket data store. Yeah. Uh, if you want... I don't know, like a little bit easier time if you want to be able to sort of jump into this new way of, of, of building little components on websites or web apps, then uh, that's who it's going to be for. That's awesome. So you dig in React a lot? Yeah, yeah. I've been using it quite a bit in the last uh, last couple of months. Uh, and I've, I've previously been, I've been using Angular for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, but uh, just been moving over to, to React and I've, I found it like, it's it's incredibly, it's a huge library, but the, the API for React is incredibly simple. It's it's kind of interesting. Uh, and I found it pretty, uh, pretty quick to pick up and, and pretty easy to understand as long as you kind of know the reactisms the way that you the kind of best practices to how to code in react yeah i thought it was a uh, pretty awesome like I, I haven't played with it too much but i did try and like rebuild a couple features on some of our projects in react just to kind of see how it felt to use in the real world yeah um the one thing that stood out to me right away was it just felt like a lot of code that i had to write compared to using some of the other like two-way data binding frameworks yeah uh, but I kind of liked that in some ways because, I mean, I had to do a lot more, but it felt so much less magic than like what's happening in some <laughs> of the other things. Like, like I love the sort of like unidirectional, like your representation of your data lives in the JavaScript. And when you want to change that, you re-render the representation in the view. Like there's no I concept of trying to keep things like synchronized or anything. You have like one source of truth and you're just kind of like, re-rendering it whenever you need to and the details about how it handles that performance wise and you know like the dom diffing and all that stuff like you don't have to worry about any of that you're just like trying to manage some data and uh you know re-render stuff whenever you need to and i think yeah. like probably the reason that it seemed like so much code was because in comparison to something like angular in angular so much of your code lives in your templates right yeah like all your looping all a lot of conditions that you're checking and and things like that and all that stuff disappears with react and gets pulled back into the javascript so like your whole template like lives in line with your code which yeah it's pretty yeah. cool like i mean this is kind of like a related topic but it used to be like really really popular this idea of like unobtrusive javascript right and that like we should be doing everything with like event listeners and that our markup like shouldn't have anything polluting it related to our javascript and our javascript should be uh you know not worrying about like the organization of our markup yeah it's separation of concerns everyone was all about yeah but and then and now you see people talking about how we kind of separated concerns in like the wrong dimension people are thinking right where uh, maybe it does make more sense for like a component to exist with its like behavior, its template and its styling as like 
something that you can move around in that way. And I found that definitely to be like a more maintainable approach, like being able to look at a button and see like what function is going to get called when I click the button is way easier to uh, yeah. like uh, keep in your head and like make changes to than trying to like wire everything up uh, in your head when you're looking at like, okay, this JavaScript's listening to this and this is what the markup looks like and stuff like that. So uh, React does that in a pretty, it takes like a pretty interesting approach, like a different approach to that than like what Angular and stuff are doing where they're putting that stuff in the template and then putting the behavior in the, uh, in your JavaScript, in, yeah. in JavaScript. Now it's like everything moves to the JavaScript. Yeah. And, even people are starting to talk about doing your CSS. Yeah. Your right CSS. There too. That, you, that's sort of the web component dream, right? Yeah. Have you played much with like the, the style related stuff with React? No, uh, not really. The, um, the only stuff that I've worked with is just kind of conditional classes. And then I, I head back to my CSS, but, uh, in terms of like the CSS and the templating and the JavaScript all happening in one place, I, I, I definitely think that's interesting. I'm not, I'm not on either side of the fence just yet, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense because when I teach and you tell people, okay, write your HTML here, then go into another file and write some CSS that should touch that. Yeah. And then go into your third JavaScript file and write a little bit of JavaScript out. And they're, they're like, why? Like, why wouldn't this all just happen in one piece? Because if you want to move that one component, you want to move that one little hunk to another project or something like that, you got to be able to like extract all three of those things. And hopefully they don't rely on anything else that's that's in there. So it, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm keeping a, a, an ear to the ground on this thing. Yeah. It kind of like I'm trying to think of like an analogy for that. And the thing that's popping into my head is like, imagine like you were someone who like pre-cooked all your meals for the week sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like if you had like one big Tupperware container that had all the different meats that you cooked in it in your fridge one tupperware container that had all the different sides of vegetables that you cooked and one tupperware container that had all the different sides of you know whatever else that you cooked all in the fridge and you can't like take a meal out of the fridge and eat it right compare that to like you have a tupperware container that has like a meat and two sides in it sort of thing and now like that whole meal is together (laughs) i don't know if it's a useful analogy but like no that is yeah I don't know. I love I love analogies like that. People <laughs> always make fun of me for my silly analogies, and they're like, "What are you doing?" But I, yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic one. The one thing with like putting the styles, like attaching the styles to the components, that um, I've been a little bit leery of. Like, I haven't looked into it too deeply, but when I hear about that, the thing that worries me is like there's kind of a difference between like theming related styles and then like the styles that are necessary to lay out the component. Like, um, yeah. So if you have, are using a different font or you're using like different colors and stuff like that, like how, how do you bring components from project to project and maintain like a consistent set of styles if you're baking the styles into each yeah, component? Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand that either. Yeah. Like there must be some sort of like general look and feel where you set your, your fonts and your colors and stuff like that. And then I would assume that it's, it's mostly just layout that happens inside of these components, but I really haven't looked into it too much. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned that uh, you wrote that sublime textbook. I haven't admittedly, I haven't actually read through that, but I have seen it a couple of times and been intrigued by it. Are you still a heavy sublime text user these days? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I've been using it for, I don't know, four or five years now. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh it's my daily driver. It's what I spend almost all of my time in every day. So, uh, I'm, I'm pretty heavy user. Yeah, I love it, man. It's I I tried to switch to Atom a couple times because yep. of 
just because the fact that it's like totally open source was appealing. Yeah, like the, and it's it's JavaScript, right? You can write your own plugins. Yeah, and you can, well, like, like it's all. I don't really know is, Python. The whole thing is themed in in less too. Yeah. So like, uh, you can st- all your syntax highlighting and all that stuff is done in less files, which is kind of cool. Like, I don't know if you've tried this, but in Atom, you can actually open up the Chrome Inspector. Yeah, and, like, it's click it's around. incredible. It's so that's cool. Uh, on one hand, on the other hand, it makes me feel like, wow, this is like probably way heavier than it needs to be for a text editor. And like Adam still feels slower than sublime. Like, yeah, significantly. That's, that's the kind of downside. Like I, I really want Adam to succeed because it's everything that I've dreamed of. It's yeah. JavaScript. It's uh, CSS behind the hood. It's open source. Anyone can contribute to it. It's being super actively maintained. Uh, but just upon trial, like I, I gave it a, a couple shots and it just does feel a little bit slow. Um, I, I, I know that they're actively working on that, so I wouldn't write it off entirely. Um, but for now, yeah, it's just not, not a good replacement for me. Yeah. And especially when like sublime text development, like really slowed down for like six months or something there where everyone was kind of yeah. wondering like if it was even going to be still supported but it seems like i'm getting pretty regular uh sublime text updates now yeah yeah the the author of sublime text he just went missing in action for a while which he's allowed to do i guess um it would have been nice to to hear a couple updates hey i'm i'm just taking a vacation or whatever but uh it's it's been pretty actively uh developed especially because i run the the dev channel Mm -hmm. uh version and uh he's been pushing out updates every one, two, three, four, five, six, six updates since the beginning of June. So yeah. uh, it's been pretty actively. I, I think he's working towards a, a 3.0 sort of, sort of solid release. Uh, and then it looks like they're looking forward to uh, Sublime Text 4 at the moment. Right on. Do yeah. you have any, uh, I mean, we could probably uh, start closing up pretty soon, but maybe a good way to do that would be, do you have any good sublime text tricks that uh maybe most people don't know about or any things that are kind of your secret weapons that you wouldn't mind yeah um i think that the biggest one for me is the command palette and the go to anything palette so these are they're kind of the same thing there's these two little things that drop down uh from the top center of your your editor and from the command palette you can access pretty much any command that the editor can do um and then the go to anything is a way that you can, if you hit set command P on, on anyone, you can go to any file, any line number, any, uh, any column. And the coolest thing about it is if you do, uh, if you do the at sign, what you can do is you can jump to any like definition or any function or any selector or any method, uh, in your file or even in your entire project, which is great. So if you need to like jump quickly, jump to a function to see how it's working, uh, you can just do that. And I see a lot of people doing like the command F just yeah. to do a, a find in their entire project to look for where that thing is defined. Um, and there's a bit of a better way to do that. Yeah, I don't know if like, I very rarely have to do like an actual find in sublime text for anything. Yeah. It's a lot of people just use it cause that's what they're used to yeah. and, and they don't know it. So like I always tell people every time that you do that, just stop, take a second to figure out how you can do it better because it's going to save you all kinds of time and grief in, in the future. Totally. Yeah. You're right. The command palette's like the best thing ever. The ability to like, so there's so many things that like haven't earned their place as a keyboard shortcut 
that mm-hmm. I can just like run from the command palette, like command shift P type, like a couple letters somewhat related to the action that I'm trying to run. Yeah. It's, it's fuzzy search. Yeah. The fuzzy search is amazing. Like ever since I discovered the fuzzy search in sublime, I've been like missing it in every other app I ever use. <laughs> like, uh, uh, do you use Alfred? for launching yep. stuff oh yeah all day so long yeah alfred has like proper fuzzy search too but it's like an advanced option that you have to enable but when i found that i was like so happy too <laughs> yeah i wish everything in life had had fuzzy search because yeah. i just can't it's, spell it's so good like i remember when i first like started when i discovered sublime and like before that i had been using like i was using visual studio because i was in school uh, oh, yeah. which has a lot of functionality and stuff but it's so f- heavy and slow and whatever uh and then like any like html whatever stuff that i've been doing when i was younger was all using like notepad plus plus or whatever right and i'm sure notepad plus plus probably had a bunch of features that i didn't even know about but when i started seeing the way people were able to like navigate their projects in sublime text it was it looked like magic yeah i don't know how i could live without it anymore yeah me neither it's it's the best i even do there's a there's this great plugin called ghost text yeah and what it will do is Anytime you have like a text area on in the browser, like in Chrome or Firefox, you can just hit ghost text and it will open up what's called a buffer, which is just a blank pane in Sublime Text. And whatever you write in Sublime Text will just be mirrored to oh, the text man, area. Awesome. So like if you're just used to using all of these Sublime Text shortcuts, you still can. Uh, just write it in Sublime and have it mirrored to that text That's area. That's hilarious. The, I yeah. actually like find myself very often like when I'm opening a pull request or something, I'll I'll type it all in Sublime and then copy yeah. and paste it into GitHub for the same reason, like like anything that is Markdown supported, especially. So that's kind of cool. I'll have to check that out for sure. Yeah, yeah. Right on, man. Uh, so before we get going, is there what's like the best way for people to kind of follow what you're doing and see what you're up to? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Westboss W E S B O S, and you can find links to all my stuff there. I'm Westboss dot com W E S B O S dot com and You'll find everything. Love to hear from you. Where can people check out the awesome Flexbox course we were talking about? Flexbox.io. Awesome. It's totally free. So just uh, pop your email in and you'll get mailed all 20 videos. Right on, man. Well, it's been a blast having you on the show. Thanks so much for giving me your time. Cool. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Right on. We'll have to catch up in person sometime since we're only about 40 minutes away from each other. Yeah. I live in uh, in West southwest cambridge so about as close as hamilton as i can be and still be in this city so that's kind of yeah awesome right on man well thank you for coming on uh anyone interested in checking out the show notes for this episode should be able to find them at fullstackradio.com slash episodes slash 24 i think but let me just double check that really quickly Yep, fullstackradio.com slash episodes slash 24. If you can rate and review the show on iTunes, that would be awesome. And uh, if you're a Laravel developer and you're going to be in uh, Amsterdam next week at Laracon, uh, come find me. I got lots of Fullstack Radio stickers and stuff to give away. Cool. Thanks, guys. See you next time.